Welcome back to the Village Bonfire for another episode of the Wild Sacred Journey podcast. A podcast not just for your mind, but for your body and spirit too. Here we don't just talk theory. Instead, we compassionately engage with our lived experiences and a wide variety of topics together, all to invite the question, in these times we find ourselves in, how do we be more human? Thank you for being here. May these conversations awaken, inspire, repair, and evolve something deep within each of us and serve the wild, tender aliveness of our personal and collective hearts. So welcome back to another episode of the Wild Sacred Journey podcast. And so as always, we begin with lighting the candle, the village fire. If I could do that without singeing myself. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, and so as we gather here, fire at our center, maybe today for some reason it feels like the woods are at our backs. And here we are in a clearing. Hmm. And as that image comes to me, as I say that, it feels like there's this sense of, yeah, honoring the things that we've each had to go through to bring us here together. The darkness, the twisted paths, the places we've gotten lost or thought we've been lost. And then this pause, this respite, this place to gather take stock, be together, get warm, feel the light. And so we honor that, we acknowledge that. Take a few breaths together around that. Honoring then to the land, both as something that holds us, that cares for us, but also as the potential to teach us, both in a more literal sense and in archetypal, metaphorical senses. <laughs> and so with deep gratitude from our hearts, we say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And so, yeah, so today I am joined for a conversation with, by Amana, Amana Mayfield Faulkner, right? Hyphenated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met Amana through a uh, Kimberly Johnson program I was assisting and we were connecting about something else towards the end of the program. And we realized we both have podcasts that circulate around the moon cycle <laughs> and explore questions about like life, death, being human, all of the, like the good, the good juicy stuff. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, so we decided to have conversations with each other. So at some point you'll hear, you'll be able to hear, I'll share about mine, you know, when, when my, my guesting on her podcast comes out, I'll share about that. I was just laughing before we started recording that you'll hear me at my nonlinear finest. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, but now we're here to kind of find out a little bit more about Amana. So um, her bio 
Amana has gathered 40 years in this earthly realm where she has been captivated by pregnancy, birth, death, mothering, sociology, culture, nature, nursing, midwifery, Reiki, and mediumship. Through her path of study and exploration, she has received degrees, certifications, traveled the world, attended many births and deaths, cultivated community, crafted ceremony, birthed her own babies, and been initiated into the realms of death and grief. Amana has alchemized her personal and professional experiences into supportive one-on-one sistership offerings for women who are motivated to deepen their understanding of themselves, to explore to explore the decisions they are making for their own lives, locating their inner compass and birthing themselves anew into their next version of becoming. Whether women come to Amana in the midst of pregnancy, grief, or self-discovery, her deepest desire is for every woman to feel the magic, intuitive knowing, strength, and wildness within themselves. Beautiful. So welcome, Amana. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm just, yeah, I feel like giddy and I just, yeah, enjoy the dialogue that we have between us. So I'm excited to see what arises today. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. I was saying too, um, before we, again, before we started recording, yeah, that it just feels like really feeling the, like that spring rebirth energy right now and the giddiness of the sun and the flowers and butterflies. (laughs) It just feels very like, woo. So yeah, this may also be a very non-linear conversation. We'll see. (laughs) So Yeah. So I love to start each episode with inviting you like beyond your sort of more professional bio, although again, it's, it also felt like your bio was still very relational, but, but even beyond that kind of, what Mm -hmm. would you like people to know about you or any, anything that helps weave you into the larger world or the social fabric? Hmm. Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I know you said you were going to ask me that before we started recording. (laughs) I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to say to that. (laughs) And, um, what else would I like people to know? Or hmm, I feel like I've just been on such a journey. Life has been such an interesting journey for me. Like that, um, like I grew up in a very like structured family, very um, into colonized education and um, modern medicine. And not that there's any, I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with that, but those are kind of like the core values that my Mm. upbringing revolved around. And it's been interesting in like my late twenties, early thirties is sort of like unraveling some of that and um, Mm. acknowledging it's their strengths, but also acknowledging the weaknesses there and the parts of my life that I wanted to do differently than my nuclear family upbringing. And that has been really just really interesting to experience and go through and like feel like I'm doing things that are outside of like my parents approval and Mm. I was very ingrained into being like the good girl and to I still have moments where I'm like I'm not like my parents good girl anymore but embracing the wild woman that I am and what my own inner knowing and compass is leading me towards and Mm. following that rather than like the um, powers that be outside of myself. Yeah. I love that. Is there, and I know it's funny when people ask me this question, I never really know what to say, although I feel like it's coming clearer, like, um, 
but yeah, so, so I asked this knowing that I wouldn't necessarily have a specific answer, but is there, you know, I feel like there are moments, there are like sort of two types of initiations. There's like the initiation that there's like a clear cut moment where something happens and there's a very clear before and after. Yes. And then there's like the larger cycles of initiations that are like the ones that you're just kind of somewhat perpetually on. And there are like little moments where you have to really make a choice, like little choice forks in the path that you come to, but it's like the trajectory of the entire initiation. is like much longer. Yes. So I feel like my journey has probably been more of those, which I think is why I often have trouble answering that question. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. what yours is, and maybe it's a combo of both, but kind of oftentimes when we have those moments where we we're raised one way and then we really start to to start to really come into this deeper wisdom or this I don't I don't mean that in like a judgmental way but just in like a getting into our sovereign wisdom like the wisdom that our body holds like that visceral wisdom that our body wants us to remember especially mm-hmm. if it's at odds with kind of a lot of the the culture that we're steeped in and like the family values that we're that we've been steeped in Mm-hmm. there's often like a moment or several moments that kind of start to prompt that. And so, yeah. So are there, what's, yeah. Do you have an initiation you can point to on that or what was well, that like? So yeah, when you were speaking to that, sort of the first few things that came up for me were like first spending a year abroad, like mm. spending a year in another country was this, yeah, beautiful experience. And it was a, you know, there is a before and after there, and yet it was like a year long, like Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. of being with a different family that spoke a different language. I was an au pair Mm. for these three little French girls and Mm. just their ways of doing things were, yeah, so different. They're different rules, having your hands on the table, not under the table, like Mm-hmm. Um, the way they cooked their meat and the different foods that they ate and just so many ways of being that expanded my awareness and like mm-hmm. the knowing of um, the different possibilities of normal, just like learning that one outside mm-hmm. and then traveling with them to other places. And like that mm-hmm. feels like one of those, yeah, longer ones. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, I, I love the way that you speak to that there's like the smaller ones that are maybe part of a continuous one. And then I also like my other big initiations that there were solid like befores and afters were like my first love died when I was 25. And that was like huge for me at that mm-hmm. age. And my first real encounter with death and witnessing his last breath and being there with him, like as he was nearing the end of his life and knowing that it was coming and then having it happen. And then Mm. having my first major grief experience, like I am forever changed from that. Mm. Um, And then, you know, zoom forward, like also like meeting my husband is a big before and after and having my children and like my first baby that was born and died moments later in my arms. Like Mm. that was like another big before Mm. after moment for me. Mm. Um, But I'm, I love learning and exploring. And so I've had lots of other like sort of micro Mm -hmm. smaller ones within there and have really embraced. I love that you brought up the butterfly. I've definitely 
I really feel called to that like metaphor and that experience mm -hmm. of, you know, rebirth and becoming anew and that it happens over and over again in our lifetimes. Yeah. One of the archetypes I've been sitting with a lot recently is like that life, death, life goddess, um, and sort of some of the more hag, hag archetypes and stories. And because a lot of times I think we associate life with mother. Like, it's funny how much we associate these. It's like, we think of life as being when you're born and we think of life as when women give birth, but it's like, but life is like also like everything in between you know <laughs> yeah and and then it, we think of death as being this like one final moment kind of it feels like in our heads that's just sort of what we usually do and yet mm -hmm. you know again if we're talking about these cycles these initiations both like the really finite ones that are big and then the finite ones that are small and then the like larger cycles and trajectories of it it sort of feels like yeah, we're born and we die like again and again and again and again in our lives, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, and I love hearing, and that's sort of what I'm hearing. And some of what you're sharing is this like, really, yeah, you had these moments that sort of opened you opened your awareness to sort of something beyond what you'd experienced until that point. And then like, what do you do with that? And like, where do you go from there kind of and how does that change you and how do we can we how do we welcome change can we welcome change you know and it I hear too in some of what you're sharing you know there was that thread about culture too coming through and it's like when we're sort of steeped in one way of thinking about things and one set of values that's like what seems to affect how we view the world and then you know, this trip you're talking about to France and it's like, oh, but here are these other people who have this whole other set. And suddenly your mind starts to recognize, oh my gosh, it's possible to have a whole other set of values, right. And to have a whole different culture. And so, you know, I don't necessarily have a specific question here, but I guess sort of around these themes of kind of like culture and change and how do we let ourselves be changed by the things that are happening to us. And so I guess based off of what you're sharing, sort of these moments that you've shared in your life, what was that like for you to kind of like realize that, I guess, like what the culture your experiences to that point were only going to get you so far. And now you were being asked to like develop a whole different capacity or a whole new skills or a whole new viewpoint, or, mm -hmm. you know, to come back somehow to something that you was deeper that maybe you knew on a visceral level, but hadn't forgot, had forgotten or, you know, yeah, I don't know. Does that make yeah. sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I had studied, um, like society, I studied sociology in college and like mm. cultures and like did Scandinavian like folklore and all the, I'm mm. Scandinavian and heritage. So I'd taken all these different Scandinavian classes as well. I probably almost minored in it, but I just really enjoyed them as part of the, my experience there. I was always super curious about the ways other people did things. Um, well, I guess maybe not always, but I, it, it, in my mm. 20s, I was like knew that other places did it different ways. And that was part of my reason to really want to like live abroad and experience it in a deeper way. 
And it definitely just like, yeah, widens like the possibilities of my own life and knowing and experience Mm -hmm. too, to just witness and be with people doing things in ways that were different than what I was used to and accustomed to. And it felt like an invitation to explore also doing things differently and not doing things the way that I had been like instructed or told was the good, only Mm -hmm. correct way to do lots of things in life. Mm -hmm. You know, like my parents, every time they cooked a steak, it had to be, you know, like well done, like no pink on the inside. (laughs) And in France, like the mom was just like, yeah, you just see it a couple minutes on this side, a couple minutes on that side. And, you know, it's definitely like pink and bloody on the inside. And that's how we serve it to our kids. And, you know, I got so accustomed to eating like red meat in a different way there. And um, so for me, like, yeah, it widened that for like that particular experience. And the the death of Bjorn like that really opened my awareness to like what some might call like spirit realm or like communication like beyond Mm -hmm. um, physical and words with one another that I after he died and I could like feel his presence and felt like messages or had received images and other, you know, ways of knowing from him. It just like expanded my understanding of life beyond like this exact mm-hmm. meat that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel, cause I, you know, I'm hearing what you're sharing, like that skill. And I think some of it's a skill. I think some of it's like an instinct, right? I think some people are maybe more instinctually mm-hmm. respond this way, but it is a skill still that anybody can kind of develop more, but that yeah. like the capacity to be with the tension of difference, right? Like, because it is often, there is some tension in being in putting ourselves in situations intentionally where the people around us view the world a little differently or just have maybe slightly different values or approaches, right? And what is that like in your body? If you can kind of pinpoint that, like, what is, yeah, how has it been for you? Like, I feel like, yeah, it can be uncomfortable, right? Like, and not wanting to like, I remember not wanting to like offend people or say or do the wrong thing. And, um, and for me, I guess, especially in those earlier years was maybe easier. I was a very quiet, like kind of a fly on the wall type of person. I was very mm-hmm. like when I did the Myers-Briggs, I was like introvert, sensing, feeling, perceiving, like mm-hmm. just I would be present, but really like soaking in and not actually like contributing that much to conversations oftentimes, um, but being present and just observing and witnessing um so well I just lost where I was going with that um (laughs) I let me see hmm we were talking about discomfort and how it can be uncomfortable to be with difference and yes I love that okay yeah so it was uncomfortable at first and um and then over time it's kind of like 
a lot of things that we that I've experienced like maybe the first time I did it it was like really uncomfortable or I made me really nervous but like the more that I did it the more comfortable I was within the within the unknowing of it or the uncomfortability of it Mm, mm, mm -hmm, you know mm kind of like like starting my podcast I was like super nervous and every time I recorded an episode every time I published an episode it was like a big deal for me but like the more that I've done it now it's like 50 some episodes and I'm like you know it's not it doesn't feel the same doesn't have the same weight that it did in those Mm -hmm. early episodes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm. yeah I mean, I feel like some of that, what that points to, I don't know about you, but for me, like in those moments, I've started, you know, actually like building ritual around those moments where I feel uncomfortable so that it's like, I'm celebrating and honoring that I did something that made me uncomfortable and that I didn't Mm -hmm. die, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, and then it's like your nervous system's like, oh, right. Okay. And, and then it like gives you the positive feedback too, of like, yes, that was really scary. Congratulations. I'm really proud of you. You did an amazing thing doing something that was like, feels really hard for you or challenging or scary, you know? And then like, no matter how it turns out, it's like, at least I've sort of like, acknowledged myself that, you know, or like some days it's like, you know, I'll have on my to-do list, like, okay, reach out to this person and this person and this person and this person and this person about that. And -hmm. it's like, that is way beyond my nervous system's capacity for one day. Right. And like, so I'll get to the day and I'll be like, and I'll send an email and I'll notice my heart's like racing and my body's like, and I'm like having all those, like, I just did something scary and outside of my comfort zone responses, you know? And then I'll be like, okay, maybe I only send that one email today. And like, maybe I send the other emails tomorrow. And like, you know, it's like trying to like be a partner with my body in those moments. And um, yeah, because I, you know, I mean, I think that's some of it too, right? Like true initiations are the things like we never ask for them. We might Mm-mm. ask for something, but what we get from it rarely looks like how we thought it would look otherwise it wouldn't be an initiation it would just be a, a grocery list oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> right <laughs> yes um, and and like I feel like some for me like fear of like rejection or fear of saying saying or doing something wrong would get in the way for me a lot mm-hmm. when I was younger and like experiencing Bjorn's like desire to live and yet he wasn't able to continue on in the earthly realm and like it gave me this new sort of like fire and a little bit of fearlessness Mm. of Mm. like you know tomorrow is guaranteed to no one and so like I'm gonna put myself out there even when it's uncomfortable and that actually feels good to me in another way because Mm. you're alive I'm alive and I'm Mm. able to do that and I'm able to try that. And if I don't, like I have also been with so many people like on their deathbed and they're like regretting all the things they didn't do. And Mm. I'm like, I'm just, that's not going to be my path. Like, and Mm. yes, I'm going to fail sometimes and some people aren't going to respond to me and I'm going to reach out and I'm going to put myself out there anyway. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'll feel better having done it. Yeah. Mm. It's funny, you know, I mean, that's, I feel like some, one of the things the life, death, life goddess has to teach us a lot, gods and goddesses, you know, is like that, that until we 
can make friends with the idea of death, we're actually not really alive. And I was just reading some of uh, Sharon Blackie's Hagitude yesterday. And, you know, and she was talking about, um, and this is another idea too, I've been thinking about for a while and have heard other people speaking to too, but that idea, like, I feel like we've gotten fixated on this idea of safety right now in our, in our culture. And that like the be all end all is to feel safe. And while I believe people should have places where they feel safe, and I'm very aware that there are many people in the world who do not have any places where they feel safe. And that's mm. a problem, right? Mm. So naming that. Mm. Um, but yeah, but this idea that somehow safety is the thing that we're aiming for, when in reality, like being alive is inherently unsafe mm -hmm. and we're all going to die. So like, and we seem to have this idea that safety means not death, you know? And like, so I've been sitting with like complicating this idea of safety and, you know, and then Sharon Blackie was saying, you know, we're, we're, we're here to risk it all. Like she just kept mm -hmm. saying that in the book, like we're here to risk it all. And yeah. So I don't know, I guess. Does that take you anywhere? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes me think about just like the way sometimes I feel like, especially in our culture here, we can put the responsibility of safety on someone else or like we think that someone mm. else or a, a system provides us safety mm. in some way. And that might be true at times in certain ways, but I I agree with you of this like feeling of the like, but safety can also be an illusion because no one knows exactly what's going to happen mm -hmm. day mm. to day <laughs> sorry allergies i don't know if that's yes. true where you are that's definitely yeah, true yeah the pollen is coming yes <laughs> yeah um yeah mm. like and yet yeah we are really just not accustomed in our in you know in the Anglo world that we're living in right now, that we don't really look at death or honor death in our daily lives, um, even though like nature outside like shows it to us in the seasons. And yet, and we, it's on our plates, like when we're eating, you know, whether we're eating vegetables or meat, like that's death right there. And yet we mm -hmm. don't acknowledge it that way. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's funny as you're talking, I'm like wondering, I'm finding myself wondering, do we, are we so fixed on, fixated on safety because we don't feel belonging, like true belonging? And so I'm wondering if we like have sort of somehow um, come to try and equate those two or, or somehow have gotten confused about which one we're actually hungry for. And we think we're hungry for safety when, when we're actually hungry for is a deeper sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. I've never looked at it in that way or thought about it in that way. And yet that like really lands for me in mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I do feel like belonging is what most people are really searching for and feeling mm -hmm. like they have a place, whether it's mm -hmm. in like their small, like nuclear family and, you know, in the greater layers of just mm -hmm. feeling like they mean something to the world around them. Mm -hmm. 
and that within that there's there is that safety in like the culture and the community right yeah that's what kind of got me thinking of it because it was like I was sort of thinking about ways in which you know we used to have Mm. more rituals community rituals community spaces for storytelling for repair for you know whatever and and that that is part that directly increases our capacity for more difference for more tension for for more initiations for more of the things in life that come at us that we didn't choose and we don't necessarily want and might feel really uncomfortably to welcome might feel really uncomfortable to welcome but that ultimately can serve some sort of evolution if we have the capacity to like go into those spaces and come out the other side. And, you know, and so much of that is having, having the elders, having the containment, having the community, you know, and so it's like, we don't have to be safe if we have belonging actually. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I feel like, yeah, for most people, especially like that first, like dive into like the depths of the unknown or the like underworld, some might call it like that it's like we're avoiding that at all costs for, you know, and maybe staying in relationships or not communicating like to our, with honesty in relationships or all sorts of different like layers to that or possibilities of how that might express itself. But we're doing that like kind of in that way of, yeah, wanting to stay safe. But like you're saying, if you have the community around you or hear stories of other people that have like gone to the depths before and gone to the underworld, then that can help like hold and um you can a person I feel like would feel maybe a little bit safer when they feel that like dive whether it's like something they welcomed or that surprise initiation like into the underworld that that they can be held and feel safe in that and knowing that they will like be held by the community and brought back up and are safe within that underworld because it is just part of the human experience whether we want it to be or not Mm-hmm. I know you do a lot of what you call sistership work. And so like, how does that kind of feed into what we were, what we're just, what we're kind of talking about right now? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I call it sistership because like mentorship feels a little bit too like mm. hierarchy for mm. me. And I want it to feel more like, you know, I, you have your own and an- you have the answers for you. I don't have the answers for you. I can be a mirror. Yeah. I can be a support, but Um, So that's why I choose that term. But yes, with women that come to work with me, it's like this. um, Oftentimes it is when they're in one of these like transformative journeys of like pregnancy or they've had um, a loss of a loved one or where they're feeling lost within themselves or within the greater culture. Mm -hmm. And so um, I help to create like the space for them to yeah, dive deep into the unknown and ask themselves those questions and find their own inner knowing and realize that it's there and that they don't always have to look outside for Mm -hmm. answers and that they can be held within the discomfort and that it won't be forever. Mm. I love what you're pointing to there because I feel like that gets into sort of that, that like, again, kind of tension that, that I feel like we often have culturally around like sovereignty versus 
interdependence, you know, and I feel like a lot of times sovereignty has kind of that word is everywhere and oftentimes has like come to mean actually more like toxic individualism <laughs> and actually like, like to the detriment of community, you know, and, and so I love what you're pointing to there of like, we, or what I'm hearing and what you're pointing to there is sort of this idea that we're more likely to be able to find our inner answers and our inner teacher to be able to go into the depths and do that journey to find that if we have somebody holding the space. And so there's that like, yes, it's not that we're looking for answers outside of us or that someone outside of us can give us something that we can't give ourselves, but it's like, we can't go in and plumb those depths and like go on that inner journey unless we know that someone's like taking care of the space and holding the space and going to help us be able to come back out again or, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And it's... I, feel, I do, I do feel like it's possible for people to do it themselves. And yet, especially if someone hasn't done it before, I feel like that's when it can be like really potent for someone to have more like containment within it. Um, and then, you know, they learn from that experience and then they, the next time they're diving in that direction, they have some tools and skills and like understand that it's not like a one-way street and they're never coming back up, but that they're going down and they will rise again. Yeah. 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 Cause I definitely feel like as I've gone through my journey, I can do more and more of that for myself. Um, and I could not have at the beginning because you really, like, you really don't know what you don't know at the beginning. I mm -hmm. For me anyway, that's been my yeah. journey, I feel like. And now it's like, I'm at the point where I know what I know. And I also know enough to still know what I probably don't know, or have like an inkling of like, when I get to some point where I'm like, oh, now I'm coming up against something I don't know. And like, I might need to call another support, whether that's books, whether that's people, whether that's, you know, whatever mm -hmm. that is. And, um, but yeah, but it does, it feels like initially at the beginning, you know, it's like, we really don't have the skills. And again, I think some of that comes back to culture. Like we just don't culturally, mm -hmm. we're not taught any of those skills from a young age. So when we get older and we really start to face kind of the the risk and consequences of being alive and being human and, and being sovereign, you know, it's like, then we really don't have the skills for that actually. Mm -hmm. And it is so important to be witnessed and held. And like, I had so much of that in my, mm. have had so much of that and continue to have that in different, you know, types of relationships with people. And I feel like that's, yeah, so important in creating culture and community and mm. cultivating that in our own, in our own ways. And it just nurtures me. And I feel like it is, uh, I don't know, one of my life's callings to mm. be with. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> Is there, um, I know you talked about Scandinavian like myths and stories and mm -hmm. is there like a particular Scandinavian archetype of like the a goddess or mother figure of like who that being with that you feel like is particularly mm -hmm. resonant? 
or maybe it's you know something else um I well it really just brings me to when you asked that I well first I thought about like I took it there was also a Scandinavian sexuality class that I took Mm. with this woman that she was Swedish and she was just like I loved her just energy and the storytelling and the way that she taught like like that inspired speaking and storytelling is like one of my favorite ways to learn from other Mm -hmm. people and women and um you know she she told stories of you know them like whole families living in one room and how they still you know like created space for sensuality and making love and that that was like Mm -hmm. an important thing in in their culture and that it was like more normal for children or other people to witness it sometimes and that it wasn't this like thing to be done that's wrong and behind closed doors Mm -hmm. and like and she spoke to her her children and taking them to the beach in California and that everyone was appalled that like she wanted to let them just be naked you know Mm -hmm. And that everyone thought that that was like so wild, but in Sweden, it was more normal, or at least for, you know, little girls just to have bottoms on, but not tops. Like that was something Mm -hmm. in France as well. The -hmm. girls, you know, even at like eight, nine years old, only wore bottoms and not a top. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's just so, it just again open my awareness to like the different ways of viewing and the way that where we grow up really shapes or shaped my understanding of what was normal or good Mm. or bad Mm. um I just really appreciate just really appreciated the exploration of these other ways and I don't have a particular like archetype like Mm -hmm, you asked mm -hmm, but just mm -hmm. like just these different ways of being yeah human on this earth in a different place yeah yeah I love that and I you know and I think that points to again I'm I'm this is what I'm hearing and what you're saying but just um you know I think there's so many different types of like coaching and like, quote unquote, being with out there. And some are like, or there's a difference maybe between guiding in the sense of being a teacher and guiding in the sense of being with, you know, which I think is some of what you're pointing to, right? It's like, like guiding in the sense of being a teacher. It's like, I have this way of viewing things and I'm going to impart it to you. And, you know, and, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and, you know, I've gotten personally, I've gotten better at being able to sit in spaces like that and be like, okay, here's where what you're saying is actually really more about you and it worked for you. And I'm glad to hear that and like open my mind to that perspective, but something in that doesn't feel right for me. So I'm just going to like, say, thank you for that and leave that to the side. But then this other thing you're saying like, oh, that does feel like that's maybe going to work for me, or that might be interesting, you know, and, um, as opposed to then like the guiding and through being with where it's like, you know, sitting, asking questions, helping that person find 
their answers so that it's like, and it does, I think it requires again, certain that, that like that capacity to be so open to other ways of seeing the world. And it's like, just because I see the world in this particular way and my experiences and values have shaped the way I view the world doesn't mean that, well, I might be able to see something that you don't see yet about yourself or some of these patterns, you know, is there a way I can point to that in a way that like invites you to say it or see it in like your view and in your, like, instead of like, I'm just going to tell you what I'm seeing and what you should do. Yes. um, Yeah. So I don't know. I was hearing that and what you were, that just kind of that like willingness to, again, to be expanded by, by what's possible out there Mm -hmm. and be changed by that. Um, Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Taking what feels right and true to you and leaving what, what does not. Yeah. When I work with women, I definitely um, am intentional about like inviting them to try out different things, but not saying this is the one thing or this is your answer because mm-hmm. I don't know that, you know, like we can't know that. And mm-hmm. We never know what it's like for the person in front of us, what their life has been like, all those, you know, Mm -hmm. days and years and that they've lived in their body and all the experiences that they've had. Yeah. Yeah. We can't ever really know somebody else like we can, and yet we can't. Yes. And even if you know each thing that's happened to them, like it still doesn't mean you actually understand exactly how that felt to them or like what that meant to them or how they viewed what it was that happened to them. I mean, I think that's Mm -hmm. part of why these types of conversations are so powerful because, you know, it gives people a chance to tell their story in their terms and in their ways. And even then it's like the tiniest glimpse into who that person is and like all the things that have shaped them. And, um, you know, again, that feels like sort of that, like those initiation cycles of like these longer trajectory, these longer cycles, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that my brain's drawing that connection. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody else, but (laughs) (laughs) it is to me. And I just keep seeing, yeah, the butterfly and the, you know, metamorphosis and the, you know, the, just the, what an experience that is in and of itself and that there is you know like that there's I remember hearing once about how you know when a butterfly is starting to like come out of their cocoon that this like the struggle is like purposeful and that like if you just open them up then like they don't have the strength and they don't have like Mm -hmm. and it's similar to like a birth and when babies are you know coming through the birth canal and they're getting the squeeze and they like that experience is intentional and purposeful and Mm. um yeah that the struggle is part of the whole, you know, mm-hmm. spectrum of the experience. <laughs> yeah, man, I have been in resistance to struggle at <laughs> <laughs> different seasons of my life. It's so easy to want to resist that. I don't know, for me anyway, maybe not yes. for everybody, but yeah, that whole like life happening for you, not to you thing. Like some days I am so clear on that. And some days I am so not. 
Yes. Have you had like what's a big metamorphosis or sort of like caterpillar into butterfly experience that you had in your life? Hmm. Yeah, well, I think my depression in my teen years and college years was definitely one of those things that was more of a long drawn out kind of one rather than Mm -hmm. a concrete specific moment. But Mm -hmm. um, definitely that was that was one. Um, And then I'm like only recently, I think, getting enough distance to see that I've been in another like really kind of big cycle one for probably the last five to seven years. Um, and I think it started, we talk a little bit about this on the the podcast episode I recorded with you, but, but with my um, getting the diagnosis, um, my dad is a genetic degenerative eye disease and mm-hmm. back in, I think uh, 2016, I think it was um, I found out that I have the same and, um, yeah. And that's like a journey that I think I've both like have dealt with and also have really not dealt with, you know? And I think that's the thing with those kinds of like long-term unknown diagnoses, right. Is like dealing with it and not dealing with it. It's like a constant ongoing thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it, and then it becomes hard to untangle, like where you sort of take some of these, like, what are the decisions? How did that change some and influence decisions I made after that point? And some of those, again, it's more clear. And some of those I'm realizing were that was actually at the heart of why I made the decision that I made later, but it wasn't even totally clear to me at the time, how much that was influencing those choices that I was making. So, um, So yeah, that's part of where too, I think sometimes, like I said, these initiations can kind of be like sneaky and you don't, you're like too in it at the time to have that perspective, that wider perspective. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's part of it. Like an initiation, like we were talking about that, that butterfly, like you're supposed to turn to goo and the butterfly doesn't logically isn't the caterpillar isn't logically thinking okay right I'm going to turn to goo and it's going to happen on exactly this timeline and then I'm suddenly going to magically come out the other side and I can see where I'm going to come out you know and what it's going to be and so like because then there's no faith then there's no trust then you're not you don't have to surrender you're still somewhat some logical part would still be in control and then it's not actually an initiation right so Yeah. So I feel like then there was the moment where I decided to go nomadic and like, I bought this old RV and was going to fix it up. And that was, (laughs) it was beautiful and an utter disaster, like that whole process. And really like, really deeply depleted my nervous system. But then, you know, and so it's taken me and really um, like, again, I'm sort of, I think, in the last three years or so, I've been really coming to realize how much it affected my own view of myself and these things I thought I knew about myself. And like, it really stripped a lot of that away. And so, yeah, so it's been this, like, you know, it's funny. It just hit me the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it was a really old RV. It was like a 36 year old RV, right. When I bought it. And that was like three years ago now. (laughs) So it's like a, yeah. Or I guess it wasn't 
anyway, whatever. It's in its late thirties. <laughs> it's about the same age as me. It's a little bit younger than me. <laughs> I'm only slightly older than the RZ. And, um, but I realized like it was an elder to me. It was eldering me actually. Mm-hmm. And like, there was a lot of then like, that was a really beautiful realization that kind of shifted some things for me, but it's been, yeah. So I don't know. It's like these, yeah, these moments where you have to have faith and where you, and then you also have to be open to like, yeah, sometimes our teachers and elders are not in human form Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not able to give us those clear cut answers because they're pointing us back to finding the answers inside of ourselves. And like that, um, Rilke quote, you know, live the questions now so that you live your way into the answers. I mean, I'm paraphrasing there, but like, you know, you can't be given the answers now because you wouldn't be able to hold them or understand them. So you just have to live the questions until eventually you live your way into the answers. Yes. Yes. I mean, that feels so, I don't think I've actually heard that quote, but that like feels like my life of just like having so many questions like from a young child I was so like mesmerized by birth and babies and motherhood and like the unknowns and like where do we come from like how do we get into our mother's womb and like how does it happen and when does it you know like when it happens and the spontaneity that birth is like Mm. meant to be but right now it's not in our industrialized medical system but like the way that we those like unknowns and my questions about like death and like all these wonderings and I have been uncovering and unearthing the answers like throughout my life so I Mm. think that that is a really yeah beautiful way to word that Mm. Yeah. Well, so I, I just pulled up the quote in case other people haven't heard it or yeah, it's, so it's, it's part of a longer thing that he wrote called letters to a young poet, but this is Rainer Marie, Maria Rilke, but the, the one that people kind of most know is this part of it that says, be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are not, that are now written in a foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Yes. Yes, I mean, life is so magical and it's so, Mm. like, such a gift each day. And I feel like, it can be so easy to get like trapped in like the daily grind and like the tasks that we're doing and um, going from here to there and not like soak in just like the little precious moments. And I know you spoke to like creating ritual within like your, in other ways of your life. And I feel like it's been a beautiful thing to, for myself, incorporate ritual into just like daily life and it helps me to be more present in the now and soak in the the moments of daily life whether it's taking a shower or having a warm cup of tea or coffee or just sitting there with my children or playing or bedtime like 
a good meal, cooking, like all of these things can be an experience that feels nourishing and it doesn't have to be like a task that I have to do and get done. Like when I'm making dinner, it can be like this and it can be an enjoy an enjoyed experience that I am interacting with the food and the space that I'm in and the other people around me. And it do you feel like you've been in what were you gonna yeah. say sorry I was gonna, just gonna sorry it just it like changes the experience of the yeah. food you know yeah 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 do you feel like you've been in seasons of your life where um things have where life has felt more like a burden or like something to kind of be survived or get through like do you feel like you ever kind of hit seasons like that Yes, yes. I've definitely had seasons of that. Like for me, sometimes it was maybe like in like academia and like having to like absorb all the content and trying to memorize and read all these things and like mm-hmm. not feeling like I have enough hours in the day to like even really do that. Mm-hmm. Um or to write the paper and take the test and you know, pay all the bills. And like, there are just like where it was like so many things that I had to do or thought that I had to do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that took over my day or also like periods of, yeah, deep like depression or grief Mm -hmm. where I just was like, could barely get out of bed or shower myself or make food or eat food like those times also were that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I asked because I feel like I'm just in the last couple of months like just sort of coming out of one of those and I mean some of that I think is like COVID it's been it's been kind of a hard couple years for I think everybody in different ways (laughs) but you know yeah um But like some of it too has really been, I think, since I bought the RV and, you know, it, um, I (laughs) thought I knew what this next phase of my life was going to look like. And I had a very clear picture of what I thought it was going to happen. And I didn't, I don't think I thought I had a clear picture, but some part of me did. And, you know, and the reality of it was so different and so destabilizing to some part of me that thought it knew and thought it was in control and, and thought it knew who I was and what I wanted, you know? And yeah. And so I don't know, just in what you're sharing, it kind of got me thinking about, yeah, maybe I think it is easy to get to those places either when, when we're living out of our design, like out of our alignment, out of that truth of like, feeling like at least most of the hours of the day, we're really getting to do things that, that really feel like they're like what our soul feels like it's here to do, you know? Um, But also that some of it is like a perspective and an approach too, that actually becomes the alchemizing agent that helps like bring us out the other side, you know, because I feel like that was some of it was, I was, you know, it was through some meditation and and, and working with some different plant medicines and, you know, working with some of my non-human guides mm-hmm. that I feel like 
in the last couple of months, I've just been getting these like really clear, like fierce love kind of messages of like, okay, you've been in the goo long enough. And now you need to like actually change and find the joy again, if you really want to come out the other side and like, and, you know, and kind of getting that, like, okay, stop wallowing now. Like, you know, like, yeah. Um, and not that I feel like I was wallowing, but it just like, there reaches a point where like the being in the darkness, being the darkness in the darkness, isn't going to get you out the other side. Right. And, and again, not that being the darkness is bad. I feel like it's really expanded my capacity to be with some of those hag archetypes. Some of those, like the Baba Yaga, like, like kind of slightly scary crones who like live in the woods and like, you know, like you got to approach them carefully, you know, because They've got deep wisdom, deep medicine, deep love. And sometimes it looks really scary and dark. And, um, you know, and I do feel like for me, that's what, you know, you were talking about, you know, sort of this like being with energy and, you know, and, and part of why I asked you about the archetype of the being with energy for you was that like, there are so many of these different sort of mother goddess, father, God archetypes that I feel like can point to these slightly different ways of being with these different energies, you know? And so like, there's like the grandmother archetypes that are like the loving, pull up the cup of tea, wrap you in a blanket, like, you know, serve you and offer healing to the world, like through that kind of space. And then they're mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, the slightly scary, like crone in the woods. Like, <laughs> and I definitely feel like I, I carry more of that slightly scary crone in the woods energy. <laughs> And so, you know, I feel like, yeah, I had to be in that darkness for a while to get to be friends with that place a little bit, but then it's like, okay, but that doesn't have to be all of who you are. Like there's also joy and like, come Mm. back again, come back again, come back again, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that like scary energy can also be like light and playful sometimes Mm -hmm. too. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's not all like bad or dark and yeah, Mm -hmm. being in that darkness helps you to bring maybe some of that energy also to the light in Mm -hmm. positive ways. Yeah. Well, or just, you know, you and I both know from nervous system work, right? Like charged state is charged state. It can be charged Mm -hmm. in fight or flight. It can be charged in play. And like mm-hmm. expanding our capacity to be with those challenging things and the quote unquote darkness, it's, it's only effective as if it's also expanding our capacity to be with joy and pleasure and like these other alchemical ingredients that are, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so help. interesting working with people in grief too. Like this is something that people speak to that. <clears throat> when a loved one dies or they have this first big experience with death and grief, it it also as as hard and dark and challenging as it is it also they feel like expanded into the joy in a way that they never were before like they experience joy and love and life on this level or on this with this depth or width or whatever you want to call it that mm-hmm. they weren't able to like embody or reach to or feel when they hadn't felt like this opposite end of it Mm-hmm. in that same like with that same strength mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so people speak to like almost like the gift of grief being this like the other side of it like you're saying with the pendulum and the swing and it's you know it's both and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I feel like I'm I'm aware of our time and sort of starting to kind of yeah maybe 
bring this down and in a little bit, but there's a piece here that I feel like this thread has been kind of dancing through that we haven't quite teased yet that I, so, and I feel like that's a nice segue of like kind of the mediumship. And so this idea of, you know, that opening the portal, like death can kind of open the portal to these other, our awareness of these other spaces and, and, um, Yeah, I guess what has kind of been, how has that maybe contributed to the joy or helped keep that wider perspective that sort of contextualizes some of like when you're in the goo or, or what has been your experience with that? Like what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, like mediumship is actually like a term I only like that came into my sphere in just a few years ago. Mm. Um, even though like. I like I grew up in a non-religious or spiritual household so I didn't really have like the language of spirit or mediumship or life beyond um even though when I was 25 and like Bjorn died I like experienced that and experienced these different ways of communicating the like all the different clairs and yet mm-hmm. I I didn't know I didn't know what a clair was I didn't know any of this like <laughs> Um, yeah, for people so, listening really quickly, she's talking about like clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, claircognizance, the different, that's what, that's what, when people talk about clairs, that's what they're talking about. So anyway, okay, keep yeah, going. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and so it wasn't until a few years ago when my friend introduced me to this woman, Danielle Serang, she's an indigenous woman in um, Squamish, BC, Canada. And it's actually one of like my friend's friends, like she knows her in real life. And I started exploring like her podcast and I've done some um, mediumship development with her and it was like through her podcast. And then I started being given like the language for what I was experiencing within Mm -hmm. what, you know, I now know to be like called mediumship Mm -hmm. or like or psychic or, you know, I guess Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. see them as two different categories, but also they can Mm -hmm. be blended as well. And just like learning my own intuitive abilities. I believe that we're all, you know, capable of communicating in these ways. And it's like a skill and a practice and something that we can explore if we choose to. And it was something that with that first death initiation, I really experienced it, but didn't have the language for it. And Mm -hmm. then So then having the language for it has allowed me to like interact with it in in a new way. And, um, and then some of the practices that she offered of tools of like learning and exploring it has helped me to like hone the skill and to maybe, and to just understand, because like, if we don't have the language for it, it almost like makes it not real. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so for me, it's also just, it's been a part of me that I've kept hidden for a period of my life because I like felt like it was bad or people wouldn't understand it or mm-hmm. like just had these different feelings about it. And even like when I started doing energy work and learning that and, you know, did the Reiki, mm-hmm. all the, you know, mm-hmm. spectrum of Reiki and other energy work from different people, it was like exploring this whole other way of interacting with the world around me that I didn't know existed or that maybe like I I guess I I did know existed but I didn't understand the language Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to interact with it 
Yeah. And maybe didn't have the mirroring from other people who you respected being like, what you're feeling is real. And you're like, oh, like, cause I feel like that happens a lot in sessions mm -hmm. with people. Just yesterday I was with a client who, um, you know, is, yeah. I mean, I think that was most of the session was me just actually validating. And then it was beautiful to see how he like really opened up and like all these stories just came pouring out of him that I suspect he hasn't ever told anybody before because so much of society poo poos that kind of that language, you know? And so mm -hmm. we, you're right. We don't have the language. We don't have the mirroring. We don't have the things in place that tell us like, this is an entirely valid, proprioceptive, like <laughs> yes. sense of the world, interoceptive and proprioceptive, you know? And like, yes, there's like the physical in interoception and proprioception, but then there's the non-tangible interoception and proprioception. And those are completely valid and incredibly important. And, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, and I think that's part of what happens in initiations when we become so gooey, <laughs> kind of when we, when we go into that cocoon and completely turn to goo and, you know, and have no conscious logical direction anymore and don't have the same physical, tangible anchors that maybe we used to have, whether it's because we lost someone or something, or just our own sense of relationship with those things is changing. And mm -hmm. it's like, then the only wayfinding tools we have really at our disposal are the subtle ones actually. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, our current culture is so focused on like what's scientifically able to be like measured and proven and like seen and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how I like Robin Wall Kimmer speaks to like how science is starting to like prove some of these like other ways of knowing mm -hmm. to be true with with their ways of measuring, mm -hmm, but it's mm -hmm. just these ways that like when we were, you know, when I was 10 or when I was 20, even it was like seen as like, no, that is like, cannot be true. That's never going to be proven. Mm -hmm. And now because science is actually able to prove it in their way, it's like becoming more understood or to some people, I would say, I guess mm -hmm, still mm -hmm. like some people are still like, no, if I can't really see it, then it's not mm -hmm. true. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. There was something I was going to ask the one follow-up thing about the medium, um, mediumship. Well, I guess, oh yeah, I guess one of the things that was occurring to me too, as you were speaking is it feels like that. And so I guess maybe the question is, does this feel true to you? does it feel like developing those skills actually help with sort of some trust or faith in that life, death, relife kind of cycle, like in those rebirth cycles, because there's the sense that death isn't as finite as like, maybe it feels like it is. Mm -hmm. Is that? Yeah. Fair? Yeah. I definitely, I feel like I had that knowing just from my earlier experience with death that like I didn't know until he did die and then I could feel that it wasn't like forever that mm -hmm. you're you know that 
yes, that his physical body was gone, but that something lived on, you know, that there was that like soul tangible experience. And yes, mediumship has helped me, has definitely like built my trust and understanding of that in a greater way and having more interactions where I'm doing readings for other people that they're also feeling that and that I'm like, oh, so like what I'm like seeing in my mind and I'm describing to this person in front of me that, you know, this man sitting on the bench and these, you know, specific things. And then like when the reading's over, he's like, you were describing this like exact picture of my uncle, you know, and showing it to me. And I'm like, okay, like where, you know, that was like early on where I was like not fully trusting like what I was felt like I was being communicated Mm -hmm. with from this other like soul and that having that those experiences has definitely yeah deepened my trust and mm-hmm. knowing into the other realms mm. beautiful so how can people find you this feels like it's kind of a good place to land does that sure. feel true for you is there sure. more that you feel like you want to say to wrap <laughs> it up oh I don't know I feel like we could talk for a long time I know <laughs> but this feels good yeah good for now for today anyway yeah <laughs> yeah so I have a podcast as well the heart mm-hmm. of the soul and yes you'll hear Kate on it here coming up um and so that's one way and I have a website it's www.birthingnova.love and there I have my sistership offerings for women And, you know, oftentimes women come to me in the seasons of pregnancy, birth and mothering, but also Mm -hmm. other times. And I have specific unique offerings for grief and also mediumship readings there too. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'll make sure I have the links to both of those, the podcast and the the website in the show notes. And uh, yeah. Hmm. (sighs) Yeah. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been a fun dialogue and conversation. Yeah, it sure has. So yeah, so let's all just kind of take a few deep breaths in and out together as we begin to wrap this moment around the fire and um, just acknowledging and honoring whatever it is that's ours to take from the fire today and letting offering up anything that we feel like we're complete with and ready to leave. We can always offer that to the fire. So as we yeah, start to kind of prepare to go our separate ways, we just know that, um, yeah, that there are spaces and ways we can start to craft belonging. and so yeah so we'll see you next time around the fire and you know if you were here for amana like welcome glad to have you here and if you want to keep tuning in for more conversations like these we'd love to have you and um yeah Mm -hmm. thank Thank you Hi, Kate here again. Thank you for gathering with us. 
Whether you've been here a while or found your way here thanks to today's guest, it means so much to me and the world I dream of to have you here. I hope you'll tune in for more of our conversations. We humans seem to be at a profound threshold and facing questions of deep impact for the future and the world. We need our full hearts and humanity as we sow seeds of change in these times of joy and heartbreak. I count myself lucky to be here now, around this virtual village fire, weaving our stories into a medicine with humans like you. As a community medicine space, this podcast is relational. It weaves webs of connection and mutual respect and care across time and space. If you appreciate and support the future we're seeding here, you can support the weaving of this web in a few ways. One, share episodes with friends and family or online with your community. It also helps the podcast immensely if you like, rate, subscribe to, or follow the podcast where you watch or listen, so you get notified when new episodes drop and new listeners find us as they search. Two, join us on Patreon. Doing so supports conversations like the one you just heard and allows you access to live community gatherings and medicine circles and more as we continue to grow. It also helps me keep the space advertisement-free so the conversations stay intact as they are. If you have questions, suggestions, connections, or would like to find out more about working with me, you can find me online at www.wildsacredjourney.com, on Instagram at wildsacredjourney underscore KP, or email me, kate at wildsacredjourney.com. Until next time, from my heart to yours, I release today's fire with a prayer for our individual and collective wholeness, connection, and joy. May it be so.